today with you all. What an honor and privilege it is to be able to visit and to share in this time with you. And as we prepare our hearts for our time in the Word this morning, let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for that grace that we have just sung about. Lord, we thank you that none of us deserve your grace and your mercy. And we recognize that it is only because of what Jesus did on the cross as he shed his blood for us, as he atoned for our sins, that we have the hope of eternal life. So as we continue in this worship time together today, we thank you for your grace, we thank you for your mercy. May those things um, be things that we continue to be grateful for. And may our gratitude empower us to live lives that are pleasing to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am honored by the opportunity to come and to share with you all today. Uh, Tim said earlier that I'm sharing uh, four times this year. I kind of see this first message as a test to see if I will be invited back for a second time. So I do not presume but it's an honor and privilege to be here. When I met with your pastor a while back at Starbucks and he shared this series, I was really excited about the opportunity to participate. I've also appreciated your pastor through the years, and as Tim said, we, we, were, we have followed you since this congregation began, so you were truly blessed to have Phil as your pastor, and we thank the Lord for him. And Luann and I, are very thankful that uh, Scott and Shelley and Braden and Corinne have found this to be their church home, and we want to thank you all for keeping an eye on them. And uh, so we're grateful. By the way, uh, we have two others, or we have another part of our family that uh, are in Florida. Our daughter Carrie is a NICU nurse, but she may be slipping away and watching a little of this live streaming today. So pray that those little ones that Carrie is caring for will be okay as she may be uh, watching from time to time. So we're too, also thankful for our Florida family. I'd like to ask you to turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 5. As I, um, I set the scene for what we're going to be looking at this morning. Did you ever pull an all-nighter? You know, many of us who have gone to uh, school have, to college, you know, you wait until the last minute and you spend all night studying, cramming, filling your mind with all kinds of facts and hoping that you at least remember some of them when it's time to take that test or, or as you're writing that paper. That was the kind of night that it was for those who were working in these fishing boats that we're going to be reading about in a moment. These men fished at night because they sold their catch during the day. Back then, they did not have ways to keep things cool as they, were, they would catch their fish at night. They would sell them at, during the day because there was no other way to, uh, to keep them cool and to keep them fresh. And so during the night, the boats went up and down the shoreline all night long. Uh, as the men constantly casted out their nets, and as they pulled the nets back into the boat, empty. There's nothing that makes you more tired than doing something again and again, 
hour after hour, all night long, with no results. You see, these fishermen had years and years of experience, and they tried everything to come up with some measure of success, but nothing worked, and they returned to the shore empty-handed. And the sun was now coming up, and they began to clean the nets. And as they did so, they noticed a man coming towards them, followed by a large group of people. And because the crowd began to press in on this man, the man asked to borrow a boat. It asked to be pushed a little offshore, and he began to speak. And the man began to teach the crowd about God and what God desired for each of them. And it was obvious to these fishermen that the crowd was really into his message. And the fishermen were also captivated by this man's teaching. And when the man finished speaking to the crowd, he turned to one of the fishermen and said, Simon, launch your boat out into the deep and let down your nets. You see, this is the setting for what we're going to be looking at this morning. As um, Tim said earlier, Pastor Phil has been speaking for the last several weeks on 1 Peter. And this morning we're going to look at one of four messages that I'll be sharing throughout the year, specifically on the life of Peter. And this morning's message will focus on an account of particular significance in Peter's life. The account that we're looking at today is the moment that Peter is introduced to Jesus personally. And it's my prayer for you this morning is that wherever you are in your walk with Christ, that you will look at Peter's introduction to Jesus and that this message will result in you walking more closely with Jesus yourself. Or if you are watching today online or if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it's our prayer that you will also come to know him personally as a result. So follow with me as I read from Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. 
From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Before this passage, we read in Luke chapter 1 about the prophecies related to to John the Baptist and uh, the angel who came and told Mary about her upcoming birth of the Savior. In Luke chapter 2, we read about the birth of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus' earthly ministry. In chapter 4, we read about the temptation of Jesus, and Jesus begins his earthly ministry. And you can also read in chapter 4 about those first several miracles that he did. And then in Luke chapter 5, in this passage, he begins to call his disciples. I'd like to break down what I'm going to share with you into into three specific perspectives. First, I want to share with you about the perspective of God's plan. You see here in Luke chapter 5, Peter and the fishermen had no concept of God's plan. But in Luke chapter 5, we see that they are brought into his plan. And secondly, we're going to look briefly at the perspective of Peter's conviction as he fell on his knees when he realized who Jesus was. And then thirdly, the perspective of God's grace. We can clearly see the grace of God in this passage. So I'll look briefly at these three things with you this morning. But first, the perspective of God's plan. You and I know that if if you have been a regular attender here at Mercy Hill, uh, your pastor and others have told you a lot about God's plan. God's ultimate plan and purpose in redemptive history is to create a people from every tribe and nation to dwell in his presence, to glorify him through their lives and enjoy him forever. We're familiar with John 3.16, aren't we? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is God's plan. And from the beginning, the early chapters of each of the Gospels, and especially the book of Luke, we see Jesus beginning to to fulfill God's plan in his life. And one of the things that I find interesting about what Jesus does to to not only get the attention of the disciples and of Peter in particular, but also to, to lend credibility to what he is doing, is that Jesus performs miracles. Miracles are nothing new in God's plan. We read about them in the Old Testament, don't we? Many different miracles that Moses and others performed. And so we see in Luke chapter 5 that Peter and the other... Fishermen become a part of God's plan and they're invited in through the miracle that Jesus performs. You know, before we look into a little bit more at this plan, I just want to share very briefly about these men that Jesus encounters along the shoreline. They were fishermen. I was sharing with a couple of the young men in the back of, who were involved in the construction business. I think these fishermen are a lot like construction workers, uh, those of you who are in that, uh, that line of work. What are construction workers mostly like? They're a, they're a tough group of people, aren't they? The language that they use, we do not hear used in the church house on Sunday, do we? 
or at least we hope we don't. Or, you know, it happens once in a while, especially if you're newly saved and you, um, but this is not language that uh, you normally hear then. Uh, the stories that they tell are usually not told in the church house on Sunday morning. You know, there's a, there's a lot that goes on in the, a construction site. Uh, it's not usually things that you see from a well-mannered group of people like we have here today. Or at least it appears you all are well-mannered here today. Um, but that's, um, that's what they were like. You know, uh, the first time I spoke to this group of construction workers, because I am a, a chaplain and I visit about 20 different places over the span of two weeks, one of the places I usually visit is a construction, or safety meetings in a construction yard. And the first time I spoke to this group, I was really nervous. I'm used to speaking on Sunday mornings, but not to a group of construction guys. And so I was nervous as I shared the benefit and for the next few weeks, I showed up and just had a presence there and reminded them that they have 24-7 access to us. Finally, one morning, one of the foremen said, you guys need to take advantage of this benefit that this company is offering to you. Don't be afraid to reach out to them. That was on a Wednesday morning. Saturday morning, I get a phone call from that foreman. He had just experienced something very traumatic at work, and he didn't know what to do. He was on the side of the road. Something had happened that caused him to pull over, and he was really shaken, and his voice was shaken, and he was crying as he talked with me. I had the privilege and opportunity to talk with him, encourage with him, and pray with him, something that I would not have had the opportunity to do a few days before. You see, something was introduced to his life, into his life that disrupted his life, and God got his attention. And that's what we see happening in this passage of Scripture as well. By the way, has God done something like that recently in your life? Has he used something in your life to get your attention? Is there some kind of a crisis that you have experienced you know, God uses things like health crises, marriage crises, financial crises, relational crises, business crises. Tim was talking earlier about uh, feeling some despair this week. I was feeling some despair yesterday. I was looking forward to doing some lawn work and then getting ready for the message, my message. All of a sudden, our kitchen sink clogged up. I spent the better part of the afternoon trying to unclog it. I said, sure, I can do this. I got a, I'm a pastor. I'm not a plumber. But I'm sure Luann was nervous as I got under the sink and began to take the pipes apart. I thought I had gotten enough of the water out that I separated the pipes, and all of a sudden, I started getting baptized. <laughs> and under the kitchen sink was... You know, it wasn't a part of the plan. It was a crisis. God got my attention, and uh, we have to call someone to come help us finish this out. You know, I even tried the snake. I got the snake 15 feet into the plumbing and didn't get it. It was a crisis. God got my attention. I am learning my limits after all these years. But 
you know, God uses these opportunities to get our attention. By the way, um, very famous British statesman said this, never let a good crisis go to waste. Now, let's be honest. A lot of these things I just mentioned are not good crises, are they? They're disruptions, they're crises. Oftentimes, they're terrible things that happen in our lives. But God often uses those things to get our attention, to help us to learn what we need to learn and to use them to draw closer. So what does God use? What is the crisis that God uses to get these fishermen's attention, to get Peter's attention? Look at the miracle in Luke chapter 5, Verses four and five. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Luke chapter five, verses four and five. Peter responded to Jesus' command as a typical fisherman. I can imagine that Peter was not particularly happy with what Jesus said to him. Go back out and put your nets down again. They had done that all night long and caught nothing. Fishing was physically taxing. I'm sure Peter and the others were exhausted. And the last thing Peter probably wanted to do was what Jesus had told him to do. But Peter did what he said. Notice he said, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. You know, one of the things that I've learned through the years of knowing Christ is, it's okay to be honest with God. Peter was not very happy here, and I think in a way he let Jesus know that he really wasn't happy. That's okay to do. But yet he still followed what Jesus said. You know, I think oftentimes we find ourselves in the situation that Peter was in, coming up empty-handed, not being very productive, not being very successful, maybe going through times with your business that you're not making the kind of income you thought. You kind of feel like you're in a rut. Have you ever been in that situation? Do you ever feel like that, that you're spiritually in a rut? You're feeling dry. You're not getting the results you're hoping for. That's what was going on with Peter and the others. I remember that myself. Last year I was in somewhat of a rut with my chaplain work. I drive all over Philadelphia every day, all the way from King of Prussia to Manahawk in New Jersey, and I visit from one location to the next, I go in, I build relationships with people. Some people respond, others don't. And so I was going through one of those times last summer, and I really felt like I was in a rut. All of a sudden, my phone went off one day. It was a text from a young lady. Now, how did that young lady get my phone number? Every one of the employees of the companies we serve have 24-7 access to all of the chaplains through an app. They can either text us, email us, call us, or video call us. I do not get any video calls at my age, you know. I'm just beyond that. But they have 24-7 access to us. So this young lady texted me, and she needed a talk. As I began to talk with her, I realized 
that she was, something was happening in her life. But our organization has a policy that men interact with men and women with women. I realized that this young lady needed a conversation that was going to take longer than it was appropriate for me to do. So I asked her if it was okay if I referred her to a female chaplain. She said, sure. So I passed along her name and her phone number to a female chaplain. She said she would talk with her right away. About an hour later, that female chaplain, her name is Delia, she texted me and she said, that young lady just trusted Christ as her savior. You see here, I felt that I was in a rut. I felt that God was not using me. But here, because I was doing what I should be doing, I was where I should be, I responded appropriately, God used that contact to put her in touch with someone who was able to lead her to Jesus. And I find that encouraging, that even when we feel like we're in a rut, when God's not using us, we're not aware of what else God is doing. And God could have us in the exact place that we need to be. So notice what happens after that. Notice in verse six of chapter five of Luke. And when they had done this, they cast their nets into the deep. They enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. That's awesome, isn't it? God got their attention. God got their attention. One commentator puts it this way. This is not a miracle of creation like the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, but rather a miracle of providence, whereby the omniscient Lord understood and controlled the time and place where the fish would be. Isn't that amazing? To see the sovereignty of God even in an event, a situation like this. Another commentator says this. He says, if Jesus' command surprised them, the result utterly dumbfounded them. When they had let down the nets, much to their amazement, they enclosed a large quantity of fish. Nothing in their experience could have prepared them for such an unheard of catch in the middle of the day. What an awesome experience. What an awesome encounter with God. So what was the impact of this miracle on Peter? Look at what happens next. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Luke 5, verse 8. Now I'm sure up until this point, Peter had heard a lot about Jesus from the others. But here, at this moment, He came face to face with who Jesus was. He learned in this moment through this miracle that Jesus was not only a man, but he was the Son of God. And you know, there's so much in this passage that I'm passing over today, but one of the things that I find really amazing about this is that Jesus, because he was the Son of God, because of his omniscience, because of everything about him he saw what was in the depths of the sea and he directed the fish right to where they could be caught and you know not only that 
But Jesus saw into the depths of Peter's heart. And he saw who Peter really was. And he saw that Peter was broken. And he saw that Peter was a sinner. And he saw that Peter needed a savior. And I believe Peter was aware of that at that moment. And that knowledge to Peter was too much for him to bear. I believe that Peter realized he was in the presence of a holy God. And so he says the following. What does Peter say? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What is Peter really saying here? I believe Peter was aware that he was in the presence of a holy God. There are, other oper- there are other instances like this in the Bible. Isaiah, what does uh, Isaiah do? He took off his shoes because he was standing on holy ground. Others, prophets, in a similar situation. One commentator says this about Peter's reaction here. Listen to this. He says, the trouble is, when we see Jesus more clearly, we also see ourselves more clearly. His beauty exposes our flaws. His perfection reveals our sinfulness. Man's first reaction to such a revelation is often, go away. But only by coming to Jesus can we find forgiveness for our sins and inner personal revival. You know, I'm thankful that Jesus didn't do as Peter suggested. Because what would that say to us if Jesus did what Peter suggested? If Peter realizes, realized the holiness of God and said to Jesus, depart from me, I'm a sinner. What would that say to you if Jesus walked away at that moment? It would say that God doesn't care about our situation, wouldn't it? I have a feeling that's what happens in many churches. I'm thankful it doesn't happen here. But you know, in some churches, you have to fit a certain criteria to be worthy of attending. You have to follow a list of whatever, do's and don'ts, to be accepted in a congregation. That's not what Jesus does here. He doesn't leave when Peter tells him to. Peter fell on his knees before this holy God. I will never forget one of the first people I led to Christ after becoming a pastor in Turnersville. By the way, I share this story also because Polly works with this young man. What a small world. This young man, we came in 1986. It hadn't been too long after we arrived. It may have been the first Christmas that we were here. During the Christmas Eve service, I met a young Filipino man And uh, after the service, I interacted with him, make this very quick, and I could tell that something was happening in his life. And so I said, hey, Alan, would you like to stop by my house sometime for a cup of coffee so we can talk? He said, sure. Now, this is long before Starbucks, so we came to my house for coffee. I don't, the coffee probably wasn't very good. I know it wasn't up to our son's standards, you know. He is the coffee expert in our family. But anyway, I invited Alan over to our house and 
And so Alan came over a couple days later, and we met over coffee, and it became clear to me at that time that God was working in his life. And so I shared the gospel with Alan right around the kitchen table, and Alan received Jesus as his Savior. And right after we prayed, Alan looked up at me and said, I feel like heavy weights have been lifted off from around my shoulders, and I want to go outside and shout. And I said, well, go ahead. And Alan did. He went out on our porch and he just started yelling and screaming because of the joy he felt. The joy of knowing that the weight of his sin had been removed from him as he had received Jesus as a savior. What an awesome thing. I discipled Alan for several years. Alan now has a beautiful family, two beautiful girls, two beautiful boys. And as I said, he works with Polly. uh, And she gets to work with him on a regular basis. I think he's still walking with Jesus. At least I hope so. It sounds like it from what Polly says. You see, Alan had been living his life kind of the way Peter had up until that point, until his encounter with Jesus. You know, one of the things that I like to read just about every morning, and I think Luann does every evening, is a book by Paul Tripp called New Morning Mercies. This is one of the things that Paul Tripp says about having um, an encounter with Jesus and recognizing our sinfulness. This is what Paul Tripp says. We all work to convince ourselves that we are better off than we are. We all want to believe that we're not as sinful after all. We compare ourselves to those who seem to be more sinful than us. Isn't that true of us sometimes? You know, I'm not as bad as that person. In uh, my driving around Philly, oftentimes I will drive right along the border of Kensington. And the things that I see um, are heartbreaking. And if I am not careful, I am often tempted to think I'm not as bad as that person. I have seen those people stooped over in, uh, as you see, many of those images. And as I said, it's heartbreaking. And we are tempted to think, thank God I'm not like that person. But you know, we all are in a similar situation and we all need a fresh encounter with Jesus. And I pray that we respond as Peter here of where he says, depart from me because I am a sinful man. He confessed his sin to his Savior. And Jesus responded. Notice this last thing, the perspective of God's grace. Listen to what Jesus said to Peter. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What an awesome picture of God's grace. When Jesus said, I mean, when Peter said, depart from me, I'm a sinner, what does Jesus say? He doesn't judge him. He doesn't give him a list and say, you know, you need to clean up these things in your life before you become one of my disciples. You don't have to go to school. You don't need to follow other criteria. What does he say? Do not be afraid. 
Isn't that amazing? You see, one of the things that happens when we come, when we become aware of the presence of a holy God is that we realize we are not worthy. We're not worthy. But instead of telling Peter to move on, Jesus tells Peter to not fear, and he gives him a new mission. You see, I'm, I'm sure Jesus realized that Peter had issues. He had things he needed to work on. But you know what Jesus did? As he called his disciples, they followed him. And I'm sure over time, Peter learned what Jesus taught him and applied those things to his life. It's kind of like you and me. As God calls us to follow him, he doesn't say, clean up your act and then you can follow me. He says, follow me. And then he helps us clean up our act. Because you see, if we did it the other way, we would never be worthy of becoming Jesus' disciple. And God knows that. And I thank God for that grace. God's grace is taking unworthy people, people whose lives have been lived in selfish, foolish, sinful lifestyles, impacting them with the good news of the gospel, and then giving them a new mission in life. The last thing I'd like to share before I close is this. There's so much more that we could get into in this passage. But some of you may be following the Asbury Revival. I don't know if many of you are. Um, I had the privilege, I was accepted to go to Asbury. I found out your pastor also grew up on another background similar to mine. I was planning on going to Asbury until God disrupted my life and sent me from a farm in West Virginia to Center City, Philadelphia. Talk about culture shock. That was a real shock. But um, there's... Revival has been taking place at Asbury University. 24-7, young people worshiping God, confessing their sin, getting their lives right. What, this is what one commentator had to say, has to say about what's happening there. I think they finally said, y'all need to take a little break, and so they closed it down, I think, for, maybe for a week, and maybe it's still going, I'm not sure but it's also breaking out in other schools as well. This is what one commentator said. Revival will have done its job if it send, sends its participants back into the everyday world of Christian life and practice with a new awareness that what we do there has everlasting meaning and it changes how we live. Revival is not the point. It is only valuable insofar as it leads to repentance. I submit to you this morning that there are probably many of us here who need some kind of a revival. We need a fresh encounter with the presence of God. Some of us here, maybe we do not know Jesus as our Savior yet. And we need that encounter with our God and our Heavenly Father. You see, when we come into that awareness of who Jesus really is, it impacts the way we live our lives. We are no longer like those hypocrites who say one thing and do something else. Our life 
and what we say intersect. We become authentic. We become real. And that's the kind of people that God calls us to be. That's what God called Peter to become. And that's how he had his encounter with Jesus. And that's how he began his Christian walk. It's also how he came to the place of where he wrote the book that you're studying from week to week. So my prayer for you, for each of us today is, that wherever we are in our walk with Christ, we will pray that we become to know. We come to know Jesus in a far deeper way. You know, the world out there is getting darker, isn't it? It's getting darker. But as one of my profs said in seminary, the darker the night, the brighter the light. Yes, it is darker, but the more we walk like Jesus calls us to. The more we stand out in a dark world, the more we impact that world. And even more importantly, the more we allow Jesus and his word and his spirit to change us from within, to deal with whatever brokenness we have, and to make us more like Jesus. I thank the Lord for what he did in Peter's life, and I pray that he will do that in each of us, ours as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word today. Father, we thank you that when Peter came face to face with you, when you got his attention, when you spoke to his heart, when he saw you as you really are, He fell down and worshiped you. He acknowledged his sinfulness to you. He repented and he met Jesus face to face. And Father, my prayer for each one listening to this message today, wherever we are in our walk with you, Father, I pray that we would do away with the hypocrisy, with the spiritual pride that we live in. And that we come to a place of where we see you as, a whole, as the holy God that you are. And we allow you to impact our lives with the word of God. Father, I pray that your spirit may continue to change us and mold us and make us into the people that you are calling us to be. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Church House located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.